1: Hello and welcome to the School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we investigate the things you're too proud to admit you know nothing about. I'm your host woman, internationally wanted for tax fraud, Hannah Varel. With me is internationally famous for that one viral video of her crapping herself at a fancy boat party, Alexandra Haddo.
2: I know you're jealous of my limelight, Hannah, but you'll just have to wipe that envy off your ass. Sorry, face.
1: And international dog competition winner, Caroline O'Donoghue. I think they assumed I was some kind of Great Dane, and frankly, who am I to correct them? As you may have guessed, today is a special episode in honour of International Women's Day, also known, by the way, as Alex Haddo's birthday. I was there first. So to mark the occasion, today we're going to be learning about why we can still tell what someone had for dinner 4,000 years ago, and how knits made you fail exams. Plus, Caroline will be talking us through an important lesson on how to stay alive during a hangover in your
3: 30s. So, Alex, you're here today to talk about daddies.
2: No, mummies. Oh, well, that's less hot. <laughs> yeah, much less hot. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm talking about mummies, which uh, it came about because I was talking to my friend Hubert, who is Austrian, mm-hmm. and he, I was like, oh, what did you do last night? And he went, oh, I watched a documentary on the Habsburg dynasty, And I was like, who the fuck are they? And he was like, God, they really don't teach you anything at school, do they? Because he's not from here. <laughs> And I was like, no, we just learned about the Tudors and the Egyptians on rotation for 14 years and then kind of have to do our own research after that. Um, and then I thought, God, no wonder, like, th- it was definitely teachers writing the syllabus, though, because Egyptians are the most interesting. Like,
1: <laughs>
3: They're the best ones.
2: For yeah. sure. I
1: feel like we we talked about the ancient Egyptians a little while ago. Caroline, you were saying they were your, like, favourite thing. Yes, they were. They were my main
3: hobby. Yes. When <laughs> was Egypt.
2: They kind of feel magic, don't they? Because they yes. kind of believed in the afterlife and there was all these gods, the sphinxes, the pyramids are spooky, guys, you know? And the
1: aesthetic.
2: Those... Yes, the aesthetic. Very sort of, very cool and camp. I love it. Um, yeah, and we also like
3: hieroglyphics, like graphic designers today absolutely shit themselves about hieroglyphics. It's like <laughs> an entire pictorial language that like, like obviously like, There's like Asian languages that have pictures in them, but like, oh my God, the hieroglyphics, just pictures, just a fish, (laughs) a sideways walking guy, like amazing. (laughs) So good.
2: And that's how they knew, that was a bestseller, the fish and the sideways walking guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so I thought, because um, I was talking to uh, my friend Sasha about this, and he was like, yeah, just do Ancient Egypt for your section. And I was like, I don't know if I can cover the whole of it in 10 minutes. So I'm going to do mummies, because they are the spookiest bastards of them all. Let's be mm. honest.
3: Yes, and there's a big spooky documentary on mummies that's doing the rounds on Netflix right now.
2: <gasps> what is it?
3: I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's useless. But, um, yeah, basically it's like, They found this new tomb in Egypt like quite recently and it was like this race against time of them having to find something interesting enough for them to get funding and if they didn't get like if they didn't complete the dig before Ramadan it was all going to be fucked but then they found this big weird animal and oh god it was so good. I really recommend it. Oh it sounds great. If I could remember the name I
2: I would recommend it. Did you see that thing recently that kind of went viral where it was like a mummy and they said, oh, we've recreated um, what it might have sounded like. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I feel like there was
1: something lately as well where they found they found a tomb and were like, hey, we're just going to open up this tomb. And everyone was like, for fuck's sake, we don't need you to open up a cursed tomb right now.
2: Yeah, like, this is not the year for
3: it. This is not the year for cursed tomb openings.
2: Cursed tombs.
3: To circle back on that Netflix documentary, it's called Secrets of the Saqqara Tomb, and it's very good.
2: Oh, Ooh. okay. So um, so I'm not going to go through the very, very basics of mummification, because I think my point proven was that we all kind of learned that in school. They sucked the your brain out through, through, through nose. your nose. Yeah. yeah. They kept the heart because they believed it was the sort of the essence of you as a person. So they never removed the heart. They took all your other organs out. Sometimes cleansed you out with wine, palm wine, it said. Great. Um, oh, We've been then that then for years. Of, yes. And then embalmed you in loads of um, linens and sort of put lots of essential oils in between the layers to preserve you. And then they buried you. Sometimes your servants would have to be killed, by the way, to be buried with you so that they could go with you to the afterlife. So imagine oh. being like, oh, the master's dead. Oh, God, that's my time up. <laughs> like, off I go. Yeah. Off I go. Yeah. And pets. They found millions and millions of mummified pets in, from ancient Egyptian times. Um a lot of cats, because they bloody love the things. Um, but all different sorts of animals. So they basically mummified the shit out of absolutely everything. And interestingly, it's not just the pharaohs and, you know, people like that that got uh, mummified. Almost everybody did, but obviously poor people couldn't afford to have it so sort of luxurious. So, like, as you went down the class system of ancient Egypt, the sh- basically the shitter your mummification was. <laughs> just, like, wrap her in a bit of bog roll. She'll be fine. Aww. Um but interesting, what I did come across is that the ancient Egyptians are kind of, they are who you associate with mummification. But the oldest there's there's mummification all over the world. Um but the oldest mummies were actually found in South America. Oh, in the um yeah. let me let me just pronounce this right. Oh, where have they gone? Come back to me. I think they were called the Chunchuro mummies. And they were they estimated that they were between three and a half and four thousand years BC.
1: So like six thousand years old.
2: Yeah. And they were and they were still preserved in mummy terms, like pretty well. Um there was also a Chinese lady that was found mummified and they reckon she dates back from about four thousand years ago. She was from a Chinese dynasty and she is I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Jin Zhui. How do they
1: know her name? Did they have they have a little
2: note I, I I think it's like what they're. I think yeah. I think they're like buried with with details essentially. Um, and she was found in China. Uh, so various uh, dynasties throughout China's history have been sort of discovered around the country and been mummified. Um, also, by the way, there's two types of mummification. Um, there's one that's intentional, and there's one that's like you're just preserved because you know you died in the ice age in a cave. I
1: was gonna say, I, I'm yeah. sure there's because um, every so often they'll be like, oh, we found someone who's like 10,000 years old, and they were just in a bog somewhere. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and like uh, specifically, uh, in fact, in the UK, the the biggest sort of type of mummification were in these types of bogs where the um the chemicals within the bog like naturally preserved the bodies. Oh, wow, um, awful. But yeah, so this Chinese lady, she was also known as Lady Dai. She was discovered in the nineteen seventies. She was wife of the Mar- Marquis of Dai, blah blah blah, during the Han Dynasty. But um, she was so well preserved that her last meal was still in her stomach.
1: Ooh, what
2: the fuck? How was it
1: a good one?
2: <laughs> yeah, just it was a bloody lovely dish. Um, <laughs> No, I don't, I actually don't, I don't, it doesn't say what the meal was, but they also don't know why she specifically was so well preserved. Mm. Also, what I found uh, interesting was the word mummy derives from the Latin mummia or the Arabic word mummia, which means an embalmed corpse, right? But then I was like, well, how can we call our mums mummy like when we're kids and stuff like that? Mm. Um, And then one of the reasons I, i found the etymology of mum or mummy is the silent one. And I was like, oh, it's good old sexism at play. Oh, lovely. One <laughs> uh, is a mother but a living wow. corpse. I d- yeah, exactly. Yeah, But I did it and then I did some more research and it's actually just because we say the, So it's like a muh sound and then it be- got shortened to mum. So don't worry, it's not actually as sexist as we thought. Just a horrible um,
3: coincidence.
2: Just a horrible coincidence. A yeah. horrible
3: and very fitting coincidence.
2: Yeah, Basically, I have Um, a question.
1: Um, Do we know when the last person to be mummified was mummified? Like, are people still being mummified these days? If not, uh, when was the most recent
2: uh, mummification? I think mummification is now kind of banned.
1: Yeah, because most places people do get like yeah, people get like frozen and
2: stuff,
3: right? And then yeah. So like, where where does the definition of Mummy on um, vacation just become embalming because I actually know nothing about embalming. Yeah, because because what's cryogenics? Cryogenics is
1: presumably
2: like yeah, what makes cryogenics I mean,
3: different from be- be- becoming
1: a mummy.
2: In all my in all my um research today, I don't I didn't hear of anybody uh being mummified ad after ad or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, so basically, I think Jesus must have barred it. Uh, <laughs> no, like Jesus everything... barred it. Yeah. <laughs> Everything I, I'm I'm not saying this is a fact, everything I was reading about was always like thousands BC or like, Mm. I think there was one um, maybe in uh, the 15th century that I read about, but that was the only thing I read that was like even vaguely recent. Yeah, but that was someone being like a
3: cookie fruit though. That wasn't like part of a movement, you know?
2: Yeah, Probably. yeah, exactly. So I think, I don't know, maybe as sort of religion modernized and stuff like that, they were like, hmm, we my baby shouldn't take out their organs and stuff. But hmm. the
3: thing is, it's like, it's so, it's one of those things, one of the many things when you look at ancient societies where it feels much more advanced than we do. Because like, yeah. the fact that these these animals and people are being excavated and you can tell, like, I, I read about that, that Iceman in the Alps and not only could they like have... Traces of his last meal, but also it was like, oh, clearly he was like sh- shot with an arrow in the back of the leg. He wandered around for a few days and yeah. went to a high place, and then and they could tell all this stuff, and that was just from ice. And so, like with mummification, like formal mummification, they can tell so many more details about a person's life. And like, if you think about modern society now, you walk yeah. into a graveyard with the kind of knowledge that most of those bodies that are, like, over a hundred years old have disintegrated to nothing. And mm. that, like, under the ground, it's just really boxes of clothes. And then, like, in another hundred years, it'll be even more nothing again. And, like, you know, we're actually not as good as leaving our mark on society. Yeah. Other yeah. than the, these ancient civilizations, except that we are destroying the planet. And that's our that's <laughs> our thing. We're doing that's that. That's our legacy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was gonna say. I reckon if we if we don't even waste our bodies, we're gonna do even more damage to climate change. It's gonna be like we don't have the space to embalm these bodies. Okay, let them go. Yeah. Let them be dust. <laughs>
3: like, It'd be so amazing though the idea of being mummified and then being on a Netflix documentary in like three thousand years, because mm. the only things that will be left will be Netflix and Amazon. Yes,
2: and then being
3: sure. like, as we can see, she said she smoked socially, but actually had yeah. about eleven <laughs> cigarettes a week. <laughs>
2: Regardless of whoever was around. Yeah. <laughs> the blue tinge here means she was a fan of wicked uh, in her liver. Do you, hit, do you want to hear some gross facts?
3: Yes, always. About, always, about yeah.
2: mummification. Um, in the uh, Middle Ages, Europeans would pay a, a high price uh, for mummy flesh to treat their ailments. So like grave, grave robbers would go to Egypt... Raid tombs and then come back, and then they'd fucking treat aches and pains with the deceased flesh of people from thousands of years before. Oh no. What could go wrong? I feel like in the Middle ages, there were, must have been so many things that were caused by the bullshit they were doing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, just eat this poisoned dart, it'll probably take your headache away. Yeah, it will because you'll start vomiting and forget about the headache.
3: <laughs> I mean, you say that, but then you think of the amount of people who who die not of cancer but of chemotherapy, and you're like, are we much better? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? very true yeah very true we um, have we have cures that kill people all the time it just it, yeah, happens that, in a formal way
2: yeah and that's the, that's the main thing that i always think of of like oh what will we look at, back on and think god that was medieval that my number one thing is always always chemotherapy like yeah i think in the future we'll be like what the fuck were we doing
3: there <laughs> as a um, disclaimer I am very grateful for the chemotherapy that saved my sister's life. However... Oh, we all
2: are. We're just saying... <laughs> However, it is quite mad. Yeah. We're just saying hopefully there's a nicer method in future.
3: Um,
2: yeah. A pill. But a bam. Yes. Lovely. A salve, maybe. Yes. a salve. Pop the salve on, you're fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, and the last thing I'll talk about, because I don't want to go on too long, is I don't know if you remember being taught about this at school, the curse of, the t- of Tutankhamun's tomb excavation. Oh, of
3: course. Tutankhamun was the Bruce Springsteen of his day. Like, everyone knows that classic.
2: And I remember being fascinated by this because I was into, you know, magic and witches and stuff. And I was like, oh, my Mm. God, it's totally real. Anyway, so I... uh, And and I couldn't help when I was reading this today thinking about the film The Mummy, where they all obviously die. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you actually read the facts now as an adult, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, it was fine. So here's the... So it was Howard Carter and his team, okay, and they excavated Tutankhamun, the boy king. Became very famous, good lad, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. But the tomb was uh, opened in November 1922. The only like slightly weird one is the fact that that so people were saying there's a curse on this, and it was it was quite strange. And basically, at one point, Howard Carter went back to like the HQ of the dig, and that a snake had eaten his pet, and the snake was the symbol of the king, and it was all very like
3: you know also the snake a symbol of dry arid landscapes you
2: yeah, know? <laughs> yes there are lots of snakes you know? snake, an um, opportunist to yes. eat, you know
1: a chihuahua that's come along <laughs> exactly
2: um so yeah so they opened it in they they sort of excavated it in or opened started opening i should say in november 1922 the financial backer of the entire thing the fifth earl of carnarvon george herbert um, he was present when the tomb was opened. He died six months later after a mosquito bite became infected.
3: Mm. <laughs> so malaria. So again, the common disease of people who uh, were exploring during that time. Yeah, li- literally yeah.
2: every every single thing that you read, you're like, oh, OK. Then six months, ma- mm. then like two months after that, um, a visitor to the tomb after it had been opened died after he developed a fever. And you're like, OK, well, again, fine um and then the rest of them so like it's people that love this conspiracy theory they're like and then a member of the excavation team died from arsenic poisoning in 1928 (laughs) (laughs) like we're all gonna die eventually are they
1: all part of the curse yeah and then
2: howard carter's secretary died in 1929 she died in a bed in of a mayfair club the victim of a a suspected smothering
3: so that's quite oh that's quite mysterious
2: yeah um and then he died uh like over a decade later, um and of like cancer, I think. Uh, but so, and it goes, however, some have still attributed his death to the curse. And it's like, well they've really stretched there. They've really yes. decided what they want to believe and then gone. I think for what it.
3: we've learned here is that people love curses. <laughs> like well, do you know what? Is there As anything more exciting yeah. than a curse?
2: Yeah. And also, I, um, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I wanted there to be a curse. It's much more exciting that way.
3: Well, the thing is, nothing you've said has proven that there wasn't a curse. Like, I thought you were going to say something like much more finite. Well,
2: but- quite, quite, Caroline. But they all did, you know, they all did die untimely deaths. Let's put it that way. Um, but then again, it's a lot of people did. Especially people who were travelling to (laughs) Egypt in the 20s. They died of being in the past and
3: being adventurous, really. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly, of opening tombs of dead flesh. I think that would probably do something to your metabolism. Not metabolism, you know what I mean? Um, But also, I will leave you on the fact that Victorians, I mean, no wonder they were always bloody ill. Victorians held unwrapping parties known as mummy unrollings. So they would gather at the height of Egyptomania um oh and and unwrap a dead body what could go wrong isn't that pretty
1: much what um
2: oh god yes. Yeah. it's
1: like someone someone will have a horrible surgery and then they'll unwrap and be like woo i've got horrible new tits
2: <laughs> yes well quite <laughs> um what are the, the phrase, weird oh, horrible also, new tits <laughs> it, it took like two months by the way to do the whole mummification process in egypt
1: that's, that's, a months. that's a long that's time a to of, working that's on it. A I'd imagine work. you
3: have several on the go, right? Like I'd probably think, like these are craftsmen and I, yeah, I feel like we can all understand that the mentality of a, a craftsperson hasn't changed that much over the years, which is that like, yeah. I can kind of, I can do one fully in three days, but I want to take on several at once, right? <laughs> yeah. So you have a huge yeah. workshop. And you're like, oh, missus, it takes two weeks. Oh, we have to get a new part in from Germany. You know what I mean? Exactly, like,
2: yeah. <laughs> You know. She'll be with you in two months. A shell of her former self. Sorry. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: that was awful. Um,
3: I remember I read an Agatha Christie book a couple of years ago. I think it was Crooked House. But there's this bit in it where they're talking about going to Egypt and like the character is defending he's like no oh, I, I promise I promise I'm not one of those boring Egyptologists I just like I'm going on business I have to go this is not like me being one of those people like those basically talking about Egyptologists as if, as if the way that we talk about like gap year mm-hmm. like privilege it was like this really oh, boring okay. thing that rich people did to seem interesting and then went on about it for years and I thought that was like the most interesting thing I ever heard about Egyptology that it was like considered as such a pretentious thing in the Victorian yeah. age on the Victorian age or later I
2: bet because it was all the upper classes and stuff that could do it I guess could go and fuck about yeah it's
3: the ultimate rich kid fuck about holiday
1: yeah
2: it's mm. the ultimate gap you it's
3: like climbing Everest
2: so there you go sod you posh people you deserve the curse that's what we're trying to say <laughs>
3: So Hannah, today you're talking about a common childhood illness that plagued me through not one but both Bush administrations.
1: <laughs> and it might have been in your own Bush administration. Actually, Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> Never, I am not that kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, today I thought I would talk about the most international of international women, um, which is NITS. And I, uh, I do feel yes. like we were kind of not sure if we'd actually done knits before. We've definitely talked about knits a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about... We've done a segment on hair before. Um, what's your... Caroline, I feel like you have a very storied relationship
3: with knits. A rich and storied <laughs> relationship with knits, yes. Um, yeah, I just had it a lot. like, Yeah. And not like... Which is which just sucks. I, I have I, I, the thing is I think actually Knits on International Women's Day is a great pick because even though anyone can get knits, w- girls do get knits. Yes, <laughs> like because girls they have a lot of hair. They hang out in tight circles
1: and they love secrets. They love telling each other like little. They secrets. love
3: secrets. They love sleepovers. They love putting their yes. heads places. Like it's <laughs> a, a, like an old girls' primary school is an absolute haven for light.
1: yeah oh, alex course. what's your what's your relationship with knits
2: oh i remember that i remember when you know when someone had them at school and then you you knew it was coming <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was like oh so-and-so's got knits and then you're like oh for fuck's sake and then you and then it swept through the whole bloody place no matter what you did um, and i remember i had them once so badly that i put my hand into my roots in the shower and pulled out a knit i can oh. see it, uh. it rank and um and i always felt sorry for like you know there was one there was always somebody that sort of had it first and then they were known as being like manky do you know what I mean? yeah, yeah um but it was bloody horrible because you knew you were gonna get it once you know by the time you knew somebody had it somebody else already had it and you'd already played with them it was or too late yeah yeah yeah
3: it was it was definitely our coronavirus wasn't it like yeah, yeah we have been that. through this before
2: yeah, and it is the smell of the bloody knit stuff. I reckon would it would instantly transport me back to after the shower, having to have it combed through my hair.
3: Oh, it was. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. There's, I have such an array of sense memories about knits because there was the the smell of the likelier stuff that would kill the knits, but then there yeah. was the spray of uh, the smell of the spray that was supposed to be a repellent that smelled kind of vaguely of like cherries. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, no, I don't remember that. Oh, I don't oh, I didn't think I had that. I don't think it was effective, but I think my mum was just kinda of trying anything at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like there would also be this whole thing of like, you know, because the thing what also makes Knit so toxic around girl friendship groups is that girls love to exclude other girls. So it would be this mm. sort of scarlet yeah. letter, crucible style witch hunt of who had them and who didn't and who's getting alienated and who's not. It's oh it's awful stuff, top to bottom.
2: And whoever had them always had to be like, remember, they go for clean hair. They go for clean hair.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh my God. The, the clean hair defense.
2: Yeah. Um, but it, yeah. But I don't know why you don't get them as much as adults. Or are you going to tell us that, Hannah? 'Cause we still hang out in like clubs or something in a normal world.
1: Yeah, but I think I think the, the theory is that you need to have um your hair next to someone else's hair that's got knits for thirty seconds to allow time for the knit to transfer. And I think even oh, if you're okay. like at a club and or you know, you, you don't I don't think you have thirty seconds of like hair on hair contact.
2: Yeah, I see what you mean. So you can only get it by boning someone as an adult, basically.
1: Well, I suppose you yeah, I suppose you could, yeah um i don't see why not but i should say before we kind of get into this fully um i didn't realize head lice purists like you know scientists uh, think that yeah. um they say that the word nits actually only refers to the empty louse egg so yeah. they so they say like oh you got you know you've got nits because you've got head lice oh okay uh, oh. cuz the nits are the egg but i think that's stupid i think call it call a, nit, a nits is a it you know
2: Cool yeah, knit,
3: knit, you know. Call yeah, knit. I do think knit at this point in, in society, it's just like it's an umbrella term for all things that live in your hair. Yes.
1: yes. Although apparently that's more common. It's more common to call the head louse, the head lice, um, knits in the UK, and in America they they call it like they would call it like head lice. Oh.
2: Uh, lack just like of a, creativity. We just like a bit of slang.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: My head's getting itchy as you're. I know, same with the base <laughs> of my skull and <laughs> really itchy. Should we all have a little
1: pause to scratch?
2: <clears throat> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I have some knit facts. Uh-huh. Go on. Um, number one, obviously, they are international women. They're in, you know, I think they're in every country.
2: They're everywhere.
1: They're everywhere. Uh, they're not, because I always kind of wonder what's the difference between head lice and like lice on a sort of dog or something like that um yeah. but they are they are strictly human head lice they only oh. they only live on skull like skulls really what oh, a horrible thing to say skulls. <laughs> yeah they only live on they're, they, they're adapted to human heads so you're not going to transfer them to your dog your dog's not going to transfer them to you if your dog's giving you something then it's like something different probably chlamydia yeah <laughs> um they have they have six legs and they have claws on the end of them to hold onto the hair strand. Um, and they can't jump. I always assumed that they would like jump between your head and yeah, someone else's, but so they do I. actually crawl. They crawl along the hair, which is why it takes like oh. thirty seconds for the um, you know for the transfer to happen. Um, guess what they eat? Skin, blood, blood. Yes, Caroline. No, yeah. do
3: they? <laughs> yeah, what yeah. do you think they were doing in there? I thought that was a tick, not a knit. No. No, why did you? Why did you think they were in your head if they weren't sucking your blood?
2: I thought they just lived on your scalp and loved a bit of dry skin. Oh. They could
1: eat. I mean, I don't see why they couldn't eat the oils that come off of your scalp or something like that.
2: What? So do they cut into your head?
1: They have a little, like, yeah, sort of tubey thing that sucks up that's absolutely sucks up disgusting absolutely horrible yeah i have some disgusting like disgusting disgusting information on this from a website called lice world which i was thrilled to learn about is obviously. a thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yes when the head louse needs food it moves around very close to the skin and checks it out until it finds a suitable vein the head louse then pierces the skin with its mouth parts mm. oh. and adds saliva to the wound to prevent the blood from clotting while the head louse eats. The louse ingests the blood via two small pumps in its head.
3: I'm so glad I didn't know this information when I was nine because I don't think my self-esteem would have ever recovered.
2: If I ever get them ever again, I'm going to freak the fuck out. Yeah,
3: oh,
1: absolutely. And they eat like several times a day. They're just always sort of like having a little snack. moving around. And so where does the itching come from? Um, I guess from the little wounds on your scalp when they eat you. And also they're
2: moving about as well.
1: And they're moving around and sort of, yeah. I guess so. So
2: Um,
1: so I thought that was disgusting. And also because they're quite like transparent knits. So um you can see you can see the blood like going down their gut, apparently.
2: (laughs) That's the worst. I was googling stuff like that this week because something bit me all over my hand and wrist. I mean it was like horrible. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And I was googling like what it could be, and there was loads of those little fuckers with like translucent bodies sucking blood and i was like things aren't okay who invented these no they're not needed what's their function
1: they're not needed yeah you 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 wonder if there is a god because head lice exist
2: yeah
3: yeah no there is a god and he's punishing us yeah
2: (laughs) i feel (laughs) very much like head lice are the pigeons of the insect world
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) pointless Um... everybody hates
2: them get rid
3: but at least with you know at least with pigeons, you can train them to send messages long distance. Whereas, like, you can't like pin a note to a lice and then have it hop up across like four eight-year-old girls. That's you know? true.
2: <laughs> just to tell Stacy that she's not in the friendship group anymore.
3: And <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'd like to know is what gives Nits the inclination to move. Like, why would they? Why do they go from head to head? Why wouldn't they just stick with one?
1: I don't know. Actually, I guess. Um, I guess it's almost like i mean this is this is completely me guessing um i don't know but i would assume it's the kind of opportunistic thing right That they'd be like oh well i've already you know, got friends and lots and lots of family on this head um let's see what let's see what that one's all about uh, apparently it's most often males that that move across onto um of oh, course head. it
2: bloody is yeah, yeah. But, women stay
1: um, and
3: create the communities and create yes. the artwork and nurture the young and come exactly. up with lovely folk dances and men just fucking... <laughs> lovely
2: club activities for the yeah. children. Men just have the telescope
3: out looking for the next seven-year-old head. Yes. Going, land ho! And yeah. then they just move on, leaving those poor women to raise the children. Yeah.
1: Oh, actually... I do have some information here. Men, because um, the male lice are very sort of like interested in mating. I guess that's also another reason why they might be like, "Oh, there's another head there. Maybe there's a woman head louse on it."
2: Yes. Off All right. I go. I was just about to say the women stay behind and just knit, and I didn't even realize the pun. <laughs> yeah.
1: that's very good. Didn't I'm even realize the that's good. the
2: greatest joke I've ever made. I'm retiring. <laughs> good night. <laughs>
1: Um, in different in different countries, different regions, apparently, um, headlines are slightly different colours. Like if they if the headlouse lives in an area where people people like tend to have blonde hair, um, they might be paler to kind of blend in better. And if they oh. live in an area where people have very dark hair, they might they might be darker. Isn't that cool?
2: That's yeah, horrible. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and they don't do they don't do wet shits. They only do dry shits. I don't know. I have They my, poo.
2: No <laughs> of course they poo. They have to. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: Not only is it sucking my blood, it's shitting on my head. But
1: it, it does wash out easily.
3: Yeah, no, I, I actually have a very strong memory of my mother going through the comb in my hair and finding a little kind of grey, greeny blob thing and her being like, oh, I guess that must be the poo. Oh.
2: <gasps>
3: and it's honestly the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life, I think.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm so itchy now. How do they bone? Do they bone, or do they lay eggs and fertilize? I don't know. No, they do. They do bone. Um, apparently, the mating
1: takes a long time; takes up to half an hour. And oh. uh, after mating, both the male and the female must participate actively to separate from each other. Should one of them die during the mating, they will be stuck together forever.
3: <gasps> oh my god. <laughs>
1: This is also from Lice World, by the way. My favourite new website.
2: Imagine that. Like, oh, this is Steve. We had a one-night stand, but he died. And now I just got to carry him around everywhere.
3: Yeah. How are you supposed to meet someone new with that kind of baggage?
2: I know. (laughs) Where's your baggage? Attached. (laughs) You're never going to get your hole ever again. No. (laughs) My God.
3: But I remember as well that the the problem with lice as well is that... um, Obviously, you kill them. But if any of... If you... It's very hard to kill the eggs. So the eggs often hatch yes. even after you've killed off the first generation, right? So you have to remove like all the eggs, which if you're like a little girl with extremely thick hair, very difficult to do because the mm-hmm. eggs are white, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And they and they're stuck. They, there's the female releases a thing to like stick the egg to the hair.
3: Yeah. It's like it's amazing that not every single person on earth doesn't have lice. They they are yeah. such an evolved species. They've really thought of everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my next favorite fact, which I actually slightly misread, um, was that was a, a fact that I think we we don't like to acknowledge about lots of animals, which is that actually, like, if they're not eating, shitting, having sex, or laying eggs, um, mm. they're quite inactive. They don't have a lot to do. Oh. And I was I was sort of thinking mm. about animals. I'm like, especially things like cows and horses. I'm like, you literally just spend your day standing.
2: Yeah. How do you fill your time? You're just
1: standing there in a field, like sometimes. You eat what you're standing on, and sometimes you don't. Can animals get bored? Surely, dogs. Dogs definitely can, can't they?
3: Right, Caroline? Yeah, dogs get super bored. Absolutely. Um, but the weird thing about animals in general that we have any kind of relationship to is that every emotion that they have, we kind of invent for them. Mm. Like, I read this kind of recently where it's like when you, you think you're, when your dog is like sitting and watching you, and it, she looks so adoringly, which she she's doing right now. Um, <laughs> like, I, that adoringness I've invented. Actually, what she's doing is learning my behavior so she can know best how to manipulate me. You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're wow. living with a
2: tiny evil genius.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so how
3: does that relate to Nits? Like, is so, that...
1: How that relates really to knits is is, yeah, they are largely inactive. They just kind of like sit around on your hair all day. Um, and and they tend to sit on the hair. Um, facing the scalp which I misread and was like I thought they were facing the face and that they were kind of like along for the ride with you and so you'd be walking <laughs> and, the, and the next would all be like facing forwards with you and be like where are we gonna go because,
2: so it's like oh, point of wow. view stuff
3: yeah yeah very very like ratatouille except not one rat yeah. but many many lines. yeah like ratatouille or like peep show or something just kind of <laughs> first person peep
1: perspective peep show but, but lice yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly. So I just, I just enjoyed that, that at least you can kind of entertain your life yeah. um, by going about your business and probably, you know, maybe it sees a really good head sometimes and it's like, come on, come on, just like, just a meter to the right. And then we can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just liked the idea. But actually, yeah, they're facing the scalp. So probably they're just, they're just looking at your scalp and they're not oh. actually looking sort of out to, to the world. Um, I don't know. I assume so. Yeah. Not everything does. They probably have horrible little eyes, don't they? I bet they're just sensory. But they're
2: sensory bastards. Yeah. Sensual.
1: Ooh. Um my my conclusion basically is coming back to the fact that they are headlines everywhere. They are international women. As are mummies. As are mummies, exactly. Yeah. And then I thought, hang on, if like, you know, I've been reading about how pneumonia cases of pneumonia are down because of lockdown because of COVID, that you know, mm. like the all these kind of like side effects that lockdown is having on other yes. illnesses. And then I was like, what are the headlines doing? Oh, during, yeah.
2: During, oh, yeah. During
1: lockdown. Like, how are they? They
2: surely must have... Oh, but kids are still in school.
1: Some kids are still in school. Yeah, like key key. Yeah, but, but they're nowhere
3: near as, um, you know... It's close to each other. Close to each other as they used to be. And they tend to be in, like, smaller select ah. groups, right? Yeah. Yes. So, yes. like, I know things are really, really bad for parents right now with having the kids home a lot and all that kind of stuff but not having to comb them for nits as much must be a yes. bloody miracle yeah
2: it must must be pretty good yeah um only slightly related just quickly the flu has almost been eradicated this year yeah and it's the not only much. the only downside of it is that um they don't have enough people to try and get a vaccine for next year because they can't get enough sample of the strain oh no wow.
3: so could we have another covid but With something else?
2: No, no, no. It's just the... But it's like, it's nearly gone, basically. The flu is nearly gone this year because it's hardly anyone's had it.
1: Well, maybe head lice are nearly gone, you know?
2: Yeah. Endangered species.
1: That's... Maybe maybe now is the time when we eradicate head lice forever.
2: Gosh, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, There's been one actual scientific study um, about head lice and COVID. It was in in Argentina. And um, yeah, they they said that um, the prevalence of head lice decreased significantly, uh from before it was at sixty nine point six percent. I don't know what that percentage is of. It can't be that sixty-nine percent of the population of the of the pop- people that they looked at had headlights. That's you don't have 70% prevalence of headlights, do you?
2: No. Maybe have had it.
1: Maybe have well, but then it's but then it's apparently it's 43% during lockdown. So um I don't know where those what those numbers refer to exactly. But basically there's fewer headlights because good. of lockdown. Yeah. And I, I kind of like having thought about you know the um yeah, like the peep show headlouse, kind of like looking out at the world with you. Yeah. I was kind of like, Maybe that's sad. Maybe headlines could have been like our companions during COVID. Like maybe
3: maybe we want them to survive. Yeah, you're not you're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> All those like mental health ads you see saying you're not alone is actually referring to your headlines. Yeah, to your headlines.
2: <laughs> you're not alone. You're crawling with parasites. <laughs> and they
3: care very much.
2: Okay, now it's time for our smart lesson. Each week we take a subject confronting modern femininity and pretend to have something useful to say on it. This week, Caroline, you're going to talk us through hangovers in your 30s.
3: Yes, Alex, you know, we've been talking a lot today about mummies and the sort of um, the physical visual evidence we see of an ancient civilization. And with that in mind, I'd like you both to take a look at me on the Zoom call today and, te- <laughs> and tell me what you see.
2: <laughs> I think you look...
3: you look radiant.
2: yeah. <laughs> You look like a happy gal. And you're drinking a Diet Coke, so therefore you've got the, the blood of life running through you.
3: Yeah, I, I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Just, just out of shot, there is a plate covered in mayonnaise for <laughs> where I um, once had a, a refried Domino's pizza that I'd salvaged from last night. There's another mm. uh, pint glass of water. Out of shot. Um, my hair is wet and in a bun, I am hungover. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> if, I, if I was Poirot, I would be going through all of those clues and being like, she ingested a lot of alcohol last night. <laughs> she simply drank poison. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I always think that about uh, going downstairs in the morning after you've been really pissed and you're like, so it seems I took my coat off here and then I keep picking stuff up <laughs> evidence suggests and yeah. scurry through the fridge yeah evidence suggests I heated yeah. a pizza because you're like what the fuck was I doing
3: and it's always like there always comes this vague moment where I like out of the corner of my eye I think I have like a mouse or something and then I realise it's just bowled up tights at the foot of my stairs <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, like
2: taking the tights off. There always comes a point
3: when I'm drunk where I just need to have as few physical restraints as possible. And I just like, I still want to be wearing clothes, but I can't be wearing a bra or tights or knickers. Yes. And so there's yes. just like random bits just strewn around my home of like, oh, Lovely. here she is. <laughs> but um, it got me thinking about sort of hangovers generally. And like, I feel very resentful about my age this year because I feel like... I just turned 30 and now I'm about to turn 31 and it feels like that even though it's been a long terrible year and we've all hated it and we all wanted it to end I feel like this has come around way too quickly and I don't deserve it. Mm. Like yeah. how dare you? Like I barely done anything fun this year. I should not like I should have a year's worth of fun experiences before I have to turn 31 and I'm yeah. really annoyed yeah. about it. But what I noticed as well is that the closer I get to thirty one, you know how like your first year in a new decade is basically a freebie. It's not you're not <laughs> yeah. really like, in your thirties yet. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: I feel like as I'm coming closer to my first proper year as someone in their thirties, the the fabled thirties hangover is starting to happen to me.
2: Oh, like no.
3: did you, Alex? Did you feel like they got worse when you hit thirty?
2: Um. I don't know. Like mine, mine, yes, on the whole have got worse, but I've still not reached the stage of like the world is ending hangovers, but I find mine are very sporadic. Like sometimes I get away and I think, oh, scot free. And then sometimes I have like four glasses of wine over the course of a whole evening and wake up feeling like I've been hit by a bus. Hmm. Yeah, it
3: can be quite random, can't it? It's one of the few
2: yeah. few true randoms left. Hannah, yeah. how are
3: You are slightly younger than both me and Alex. How are your hangover is the moment? I am a
1: sprightly twenty-nine. Thank you very much.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, um, you I mean, I haven't. I do not think I've really had a proper hangover for a year because, like, who's you know, I'm not getting smashed in my own house. Um, all right, but um, <laughs> all right, <correct>. Mrs. Morals. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a yeah. Just it's kind of like oh, it's not so much fun, but. I don't know. I definitely I definitely feel like some of the worst hangovers I had were actually before I knew what various levels of alcohol would do to me. And there was definitely a period in my 20s where I'd, I'd go out after work and not have anything to eat and then have four pints of beer, which is not like yeah. you know an insane amount. But then I'd get home and be like, oh, I need to throw up now. Um, mm. my, I had this, mm. you know, a pret salad at lunch at my desk, and then four pints of yeah. Taddys lager. Um, you're, you're really
3: calling back to a more joyful time, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a really yes. a lovely time of near starvation and cheap beer. But, um, yeah, wow. I'm still waiting
1: for I'm still waiting for the kind of like, um, I I have definitely heard like apocryphal tales of the kind of the hangovers that make you want to make you think like everything is wrong with my life and like
3: it it needs to it needs to all stop right now mm, mm, definitely and like i do feel like that the story of hangover is are like that diagram of the evolution of man um, but in reverse. Mm. So it's like you start off in your teens, like, quite springy and resilient. And then the older you get, you're just a sort of a anxious chimp curled <laughs> over, awaiting death. And I do... Gen- and there is, like, a technical reason for this. It is because that um your liver enzymes apparently diminish with age. So it takes you a longer time to metabolize alcohol. But that doesn't oh, explain to me the, like, existential dread that I'm now feeling. Mm. Like, it's very... It's very, I've shamed my ancestors. It's
2: very, <laughs> it's
3: very thousand yard stare into the horizon. And it's also, and I think this is very much um, a symptom of being a millennial person who spends time online and who's like a lot of their careers online. But it's that thing of like, I have said something abhorrent and terrible. I've, say, I've either said something or done something abhorrent <laughs> that's so, that I don't know is bad yet but it's going to yeah. come and get me. <laughs> and my best like, mate
2: gets this every weekend. And I'm like, I was with you. We were in a house. Cause she's in my bubble. And I was like, we were in a house in a living room. Like you're, you haven't done anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, yeah.
3: And like, yet there is this lingering suspicion that you have indeed done something. It's yeah. awful. And like, I thought to get me over this hump, I thought I would remember all the humps that have come beforehand. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to take us through hangover's, through various stages in our life okay okay so first of all the earliest kind hangovers in your teens which don't really exist because you sort of like you expel all of the alcohol the night before like almost nothing sits Mm. because like I would say most of my nights my proper drunk nights when I was like 16 up I would probably vomit by the end of the night (laughs) and I would wake up like a daisy the next day (laughs)
2: I've never, ever been sick from booze. But you don't don't really throw up at all, do you? No, but I think that's part of it because I don't want to throw up. I've heaved a lot, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But I've never, like, actually full-on vombed. Yeah.
3: And then, like, I feel hangovers in your early 20s. It's like, that's when the sort of, you know, the pain, it's when like, the headaches and the sort of, like, oh, God, what did we do last night thing ends. But I also think that... Hangovers in your early 20s are very, like, you trying to reclaim the sleepovers of your mid-teens. Aww, yeah. Because it's yeah. very just, like, you and two girls under a blanket watching Friends with a big thing of Fanta. And <laughs> it's just, oh, like, yeah. we've just yeah. taken us being 11, but now we're 21. And we just, like, are sort of looking after each other, you know?
2: Yeah. We still have that, my gang. We do that every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Not every weekend now. Every weekend, usually. And it's,
3: and it's nice. And then I feel like in your sort of mid 20s to late 20s, you start doing more of the, because you have more money, you start doing more of the midweek work benders. Yes. And that I think is when it really True. starts to set in, like <sighs> yeah, big person horrible. hangovers. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Where you go back into work the next day and you sort of, feel like you're being pickled from the inside. Like you're just this jar of vinegar <laughs> oh. with pickles floating in it. And the vinegar yeah. is coming out your eyes and out your ears and through your mouth. And you'll die if anyone touches you and you're made of glass yes. and you're going to shatter.
2: <laughs> That's the thing, because the, the main tip really for hangovers if is like sleep it off. Like if you get up at 10, you've gone, you've slept through the worst part. Whereas like the worst feeling in the world is getting properly weekend trashed accidentally in the week. And then having to get up at half seven and get on mm. a tube and go into the office. Yeah. Hell on earth.
3: And at least I think when you're a bit younger in the kind of a sort of a younger office culture, everyone else is kind of in the same boat as you. Yeah. Like if you didn't get drunk with them last night, they got drunk with somebody else. And you're all kind of in that thing where you're like, oh, let's like, let's go out and take a long lunch or let's all go to the this- place around the corner that does cheese toasties or like there's a kind of a community sensibility about it isn't there yeah
2: communal delirium (laughs)
3: yeah exactly and uh and then like generally by the time you're ready to go home for home you can either have another pint or you you feel kind of fine you know or you're gonna have like a nice soft night with an oven pizza in your housemate you know yeah Mm. yeah but now that I'm in this spot (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that's good about it is that I can get Deliveroo with no worry that it will bankrupt me. Yeah. So that's nice. But the existential dread is hurting me. And also <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I found this thing started to happen as well where the option to sleep it off until noon has vanished because it's like, Yes. My my heart rate increases or something while I'm drunk into sleep and I wake up just feeling like very panicked and like I'm about to have a heart attack and I have a disease. Mm. Yeah,
2: that 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 heart beating thing is your body trying to get rid of the alcohol and pump it away through your system. Oh god, that's sad, isn't it? It's so sad. Our poor little heart, she tried so hard. Have a have a calming drink. Do don't whatever you do, have a cup of coffee or tea or have a diet coke that early, because you'll go into what I call Panic mode, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ugh. panic station one hundred and one. Yeah, you have like have like some squash, a big thing, a pint of squash.
3: Yeah, it's so lame. I think as well, I might be in the situation because I am. Um, I had been doing a lot of like like steady sort of like glass of wine with dinner thing, like yeah. basically every night for about three weeks there. And me and Gavin kind of fight. We're like, oh, this is getting a bit bad, and both of us feel sort of anxious and sweaty all the time. Maybe we should just quit drinking for a week and see how we feel. And we did that and it was amazing. And we both woke up at 7.30 every day and we both felt better. And then that amazing feeling you get when you stop drinking for a while is also the perfect feeling to want to have a drink.
2: (laughs) Yes, because yeah, you feel that, like
3: yeah. really like yeah, chatty and lively. Like let's like let's go for a walk around the neighborhood and have a beer, kind of thing. And now let's yeah, walk yeah. three times around the neighborhood with this beer and sort of talk to people as we see them. And oh god, it's sunny and we're all full of life again. And maybe the disease will end.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <And> here <laughs> yeah. I am.
2: Bloody optimism to send yeah. us worse. That's the balance of life.
1: I do think that that is like a problem as well, isn't it? That like not not drinking lots regularly lowers your threshold for how much drink affects you and then you're like okay i'm gonna go out and have like i don't know like i I can have half a bottle of wine and be like this is terrible whereas before i could do that without you know too much of a problem
3: yeah yeah it is amazing it is incredible that we choose to ingest this poison so frequently
1: Mm. (laughs) my poor little heart just can't take it and also you have a you have a dog right so like probably even if you didn't want to get up she'd be like hi caroline Mm.
3: Hi! Oh Walk. my God, she's literally, she's been so patient today and I can tell she's so angry. Aww. She's literally at my leg right now because she hasn't been out yet, so we kind of have to wrap up.
2: <laughs> I know, imagine imagine being this hungover and then having a kid. Oh. <sighs> oh God. Saints, all of them. Honestly.
1: Should we do some quick fire tips for hangovers in your 30s?
2: Yes. Throw your phone away. Because <laughs> the amount of times I've sent messages where I've been like, what?
3: I didn't even mean that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, and
3: the thing of, like, I hear, I really hate that hangover spot of, like, you're on your phone in front of the TV, and, it like, it's just horrible, and you're just scrolling and not paying attention to anything.
2: Yeah, the concentration levels have gone the next day.
3: I think the only thing that's made today nice is that I had my phone in another room, and I was reading, like, like the collected AA Gill, which is just fun, and it's like, oh, this is, like, reading, but it's not, like, hard reading, and, like, he's funny, and he's obviously really good, and he wouldn't judge me for being drunk.
0: Mm. So yeah.
3: I think if you can find a book that is so, quite easy to read and quite friendly to you, you yeah. will generally feel better about yourself because at the very least you read a book today.
2: Mm. That's yes, a good one. exactly. That's a good. And my other thing, my other tip comes from Richard Spalding. a Uh, I was going to say a friend of the show but he's never been on but we sort of know him Um, he always says don't lie to yourself prepare for the hangover with a selection of drinks and the first thing you're going to want to eat in the morning Mm. in the house Mm. so you don't have to go out to the shop and get it so he always gets like a Ribena a Diet Coke
1: yeah Ribena is a lifesaver for hangovers yeah yeah, and and then, having like, a selection you know,
2: of Bev's is definitely something that makes you feel more in control. A selection of Bev's and, like, you know, whatever you're going to want to eat for breakfast. And then you just feel like, OK, I've tackled that without having to do a dreaded, like, trip.
3: Oh, the horrible, like, trip to the corner shop when you have to put, like, a coat over yeah. sweatpants and you've got <laughs> your yeah. no bra on and the, the the misty rain in your face and like yeah. the guy oh. gives you attitude about it it's oh.
2: <laughs> and like pe- people that the worst thing ever is when you've been on like a real bender and you basically you either haven't been to sleep or you've you know people you start seeing people get up for a jog or something <laughs> and you're like oh I've passed Ugh. into the bad place
3: oh <laughs> so the bad place I was actually really grateful this morning that the the sky was just that horrible low white. So I was like, oh, no one can judge me for being inside during this. But now, actually, there's a lovely blue sky, so I think I'm going to go walk the dog and feel good about my life.
1: Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can hear more by searching School for Dumb Women on your favourite podcast app and following us on the usual social media platforms at Dumb Women Pod. You can also hear us on Soho Radio on the Culture Channel. Thank you to Gavin Day for our artwork, Carrie Harris for our jingles, and Soho Radio Studios. Goodbye, good hangover.
3: Goodbye, Goodbye. mummies. I'm a jar of pickles.